not being a real boxer. Butterbean seems to have fucked up quite a lot of people. But they're not like... <laughs> he's fucked up Test and Johnny Knoxville. Hey, man, that's two more people than I've fucked up. <laughs> well, it's back uh, back to the two of us this week, Richard. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's the, uh, the white belts have been... Notice that I have removed the actual white belt yes, from our white belt studios because I needed it. Yeah. I needed it to practice my jiu-jitsu. Yeah, getting back on that horse. I uh, Back you know, in that guard. I had a dilemma in which I didn't understand. So I didn't know if you were supposed to wash the belt or not all the time as you yeah. wash the gi because you get stripes on your belt, right? Yeah. Someone like me, I only got, I only got a single stripe, Richard. Yeah. Just one one stripe on the old white belt. Yeah. You in don't want you you to lose that. My white belt in life has unlimited stripes, but my white belt <laughs> in BJJ has a single stripe on it. So um, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, how the fuck are these people washing their belts all the time? But yet the stripes are still intact. Like they must have some resilient tape that they're using or something. Yeah. I don't get it. So... I tried to wash my belt, as I do every time, and predictably, the tape kept coming off. So you know what I did? I ordered my own tape. So now I ah, replace I the stripes on my white belt after I wash them, and they predictably come off. So that was a dilemma that I was pretty proud of myself for solving. Nice. But uh, so, now, <laughs> What stops you from just like secretly putting on that second white belt? Second white belt stripes uh, and hoping nobody notices. Theoretically, nothing because I, <laughs> I, uh, I recently switched academies because yeah. the one I typically used to go to was no longer convenient for me. Yeah. So I switched academies, and I guess I could have just thrown on a. Uh, I feel like I'm better than like I don't think this is a particularly boastful thing to say, but I think I'm better than one stripe. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know I'm. I could pass as a as a two striper. <laughs> So uh, I Although, probably could I don't have. know. Given what Aaron's had to say on the topic, I don't think multiple stripes on your white belt accounts for much outside of life. This is true. Uh, you get you you earn your stripes in life. But um, you know, it's as at first we were trying to think about uh, guests we could have on this week, but I think it's actually good that's just back to the two of us because yeah. this is sort of the centralized curriculum. We've got to we got to round out that foundation. Yeah, well, I, I mean, if this this has to be a thing, right? Yeah. Like, it, guests are nice, and we try to have as many on as we can. But yeah. if just the two of us sitting in a room speaking amongst each other isn't entertaining, then we're kind of fucked before we even start, right? And we need a reason for them to come back. We need a welcoming home here at White Belt Studios, and a fun-filled environment with everything your heart could desire. This is true. This is actually the... Um, it's the first time we're doing one of these in a while because we had back recorded a few. Last week was theoretically as timely as any any that we've ever done because yeah. we recorded the episode with Joey at the Lions Den on Saturday and turned around and edited it and released it for Tuesday. But the Dexter episode was several months ago. So this is the first time we're talking since a number of topical things have occurred, including... 217 UFC 217. Oh yes. Um, were you Good able? Things. Now, did you watch it live or did you I just didn't watch? catch it live? I caught it the next day. I uh, I couldn't catch it live because uh, I actually ah never mind. I started my bouncing job the week after. You are the back. king. As someone who is as interested and now invested by doing something like this in fighting as you are, yeah. you are god awful at watching meaningful fights. 
but exceptional at watching meaningless fights. Oh yeah, no, I like I I am when it comes to the big fight. Well, because they're always on nights where other things are going on. Yeah, I, I either I'm doing shows, I'm going to see a show, I'm working at the bar, whatever I'm doing that night. But when it comes to like middle of the day, king of the cage, I fucking got that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will sit there glued to the television the entire time. I watched uh, Bellator the other night and watched a 44-year-old Israeli guy beat the shit out of a 24-year-old. And uh, now that old Israeli guy is uh, eight and four. <laughs> yeah, I remember distinctly you came in and you were, I remember there was some big UFC pay-per-view the week prior, but uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like uh, Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson, which, you know, wasn't the biggest pay-per-view, but it's definitely a fight that like someone as invested as you would like make appointment viewing. Yeah. But then the next week I asked you if you saw that fight, you were like, oh, I just didn't see it. I don't know. Then a week after, I'm like, you were like, bro, did you see Luke Rockhold and David Branch? I was like, well, that uh, was no. The, that was the same night as Canelo Triple G. So that's fair to say that like, I, I literally was. went no. to another bar and watched it, and it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 217 was actually a lucky break for the company, I feel, because they haven't, you know, Dana White is claiming that 2017 was the most profitable year in history for the UFC. Which, if you uh, consider the amount of disasters that they've had, yeah, um, in terms of the cards themselves actually being disasters, in addition to like John Jones pissing hot yet again level disasters everywhere, <laughs> his piss literally just like sizzles and burns any time. Just come up with a way, like don't test John Jones' piss, test his like shits or something, <laughs> just so he can pass these tests. Test his hair follicles, uh, but let him shave his head every other day. He does anyways. I think he was preparing for that. He's preparing for that being the eventual testing modality. He yeah. was ahead of the curve. He's gunning for it. But uh, yeah, I feel like every now and again there's a pay per view in the UFC that sort of like sets the agenda yeah. for the upcoming year. And 217 was definitely that. Because going into that, you know, the entire picture of where the UFC was headed moving forward, we had even discussed the topic here, you know, was a little bit murky. There yeah. weren't any stars outside of Connor. They thought John Jones was going to be their star. He's gone probably forever at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, Cormier is the champion now in the 205 division. He doesn't really have a lot of that whole division seems completely empty now. Yeah. There's no one really for him to fight. And he's not really he probably shouldn't be fighting that much longer. Yeah. I mean, like how much how many more years is Daniel Cormier really going to give us when especially with a guy who's as sharp as he is when it comes to commentary? Oh, he's, I feel he's like it, it excellent benefit him to kind of go out on it. Yeah kind of retire as champ. With some like brain cells? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, like just like you've proved everything there is to prove. You're not going to fight John Jones in four years. No. And if anything... I mean, the, he would. He would, yeah. But, but no it, one's going to buy the fight. No. You know what they no. should do? They should have like an old school like a back alley street match WWE style <laughs> and they just like have someone periscope it and yeah. like it's 50 bucks to watch the periscope and yeah. they'll just fight in the somebody's go, just backyard. Go back to that same hotel where it all started. <laughs> go to uh, go to where Kimbo fought that cop <laughs> and just and fight in that weird wooden room. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, 
coming out of 217, all of a sudden, it's amazing how one night can change the fortunes of the entire promotion because yep. um, now all of a sudden there's an abundance of ideas and an abundance of fights to make. And GSP, can't, particularly with the case of uh, Bisping and GSP, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> GSP you know, came back looking like he never took time off. You, it was fantastic. Mm, See, I'm not as high on his performance, maybe, as some others. I think it was undoubtedly good. Mm. But I also think that he was very clearly gassing and that him connecting when he did was very fortunate because I think that that fourth round was going to be more and more interesting in terms of, you know, Bisping's primary strength is his cardio, his conditioning. And it seemed as if, as that fight played out, George's primary weakness was yeah. just that, his, yeah. his cardio and his conditioning. And I don't think... But he's also fighting at a higher weight class. Than yeah, I don't... To. He's carrying around more weight in the ring than he's used to. So he's not going to have that same endurance. And I don't think that he's a great fit for 185. No. I no. think but that... But the um, fact that he came back, he's like, oh, who's your champ? Yeah, yeah, I'll take that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is what it is. He took the fight because he thought he could beat Bisping. Yeah. If he thought he could beat the guy who happened to be the 170 champ yeah. at the time, he'd have fought him. Yeah. But it was Woodley, and he was like, man, I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good on fighting the guy who is Although. looks like he's been constructed in a lab somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, and also, too, it's funny because... You can argue that I said that it's a you know there's a myriad of options, but it's almost still murky with the outlook of the whole promotion and of the UFC. But it's like good murky, yeah. In that now, GSP being back and looking as good as he did, it kind of opens up all these different avenues for you to explore. But he also has the belt, so they're all interesting. Yeah. You know, like he's. He looked good enough to sell any possible fight that you can make with him. Exactly. And I think that that was the ultimate win on the night. But they also, you know, with TJ winning, they set up some other super fights. Yeah. So, and I think that was, if they really want to make as much money as possible in the year of 20, in 2018 coming up, I think they should really make it the year of the super fight. Like the aforementioned Cormier. That's you know what you should do with him? <laughs> have him fight Stipe. That's what you do. Ooh. That's what you do with Cormier. Try yeah. to have him be a two-division champ. And Cormier is a guy who's proven he can hang at heavyweight. Fuck yeah. <laughs> he threw Josh Barnett on his head. He doesn't have to worry. And it's not like he has to worry about Kane. Like That was the big thing before is he didn't yeah. want to fight Kane. Kane, when is the next time we're going to see Kane fight? Yeah, at some point you just have to consider whether or not Kane is just a you know his career is pretty much over. Yeah, I mean the guy he had a good run, but I think I think just it, especially training wise, coming back to what hey we know Kane. about his training. Hey Kane, I know we're just a couple of guys in a basement in Philly, but just some real quick advice for you: hire a fucking strength and conditioning coach. A <laughs> He's real got one. one. He's got one. What are you talking about? Not fucking Joe Bag of Donuts <laughs> in the strip mall. <laughs> Who just attached handles to cannonballs and claims that they're yeah. elite kettlebells and that you should be able to do swings with it, aka and, power shrugs. And and Kane just seems like such a nice guy that I feel like that like this guy just can't like I feel this guy found Kane yes. and just was like super nice and super welcoming and Kane would just bought it hook line and sinker. What what I think it is is that he was probably working with the guy prior to being Cain Velasquez UFC champ yeah. when he was just Cain Velasquez, you know, regional MMA yeah. competitor. 
So he probably, you know, thinks that this is the guy that got him to the dance. So he's not going to turn around and abandon him yeah. once he's in the dance. But, but he's at a level that to. this guy is not used to training people. I swear to God. I know this is like, again, I don't think this is a particularly boastful thing to say here. I am. I think... I think twice I've said I'm not being boastful, so maybe I'm just being boastful today. <laughs> you know, maybe you should just let your ego take over just, for just a little bit. Just let it fly a little just bit? Just let it, yeah, just let it ride. I think I would do a better job training Cain Velasquez than whoever the fuck he has now. And yeah. I I is don't it, remember the guy's name, but I don't care that is, I don't Is it because name. you've strength trained and done jujitsu? Is that what makes you think that you're... You know, I know that's a joke, but... Is it's also kind of true? No, I, like, don't think, I don't. I wasn't joking when I asked that. That was not. That I think it may be more qualifications that are applicable than Homeboy yeah. has. So, yeah. but anyways, I think um, you know, heading out of two seventeen twenty eighteen seems to be. A, it's funny that two seventeen also kind of put a bow on twenty seventeen. Yeah, and now um, moving into twenty eighteen, like I said, I think it should be the year of the super fight, and it's also. I think a good thing for the UFC to finally flush Bisping out of the system. Yes. Because he he was just a peculiar champ from day one. You yeah. kind of knew that he wasn't the best guy. Like The fact that he took Dan, 50-year-old Dan Henderson as his next fight as immediately upon winning the belt. When but, Dan Henderson, as fantastic a fighter as he was in his prime, doesn't deserve to be anywhere near that belt well, at this point in time. We've had the debate so many times on here but isn't that the ultimate representation of the new style of business the ufc is getting into yeah you know we, yeah. we've always talked about that spectrum of you're either the nfl or you're the wwe yeah and i think that the ufc had these visions of grandeur of them being able to be the nfl and have this strict ranking system yeah. and they make the matchups that need to be made and it's not you know the number 15 guy is going to fight the champ just because he can sell more. Yeah. But then they turn around and did just that and made Henderson versus Bisping. Guess what? We all loved it. The pay-per-view was yeah. great. Is probably and Henderson proved that, yes, he does deserve to be that near that belt when Bisping is the champ. Exactly. He, um, you know, we were talking before about how Anderson Silva was very nervous um, after he was KO'd by... Weidman, and he was always yeah. this weird, you know, shell of him former of his former self after that fight. And I think Bisping, when it came to fighting specifically Dan Henderson, was the same way. And oh, how yeah. could you not? Be? How do you not like wake up in the night terrified, seeing that vision of Dan Henderson Superman punching <laughs> you straight through the earth? That um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't blame him one iota. In fact, that would that I would wake up screaming at night if that happened to me. <laughs> I think it was it was smart, like marketing for Bisping to grow his hair out and grow that beard a little bit because if he looked like he looked in that fight always, yeah, it would have affected. It's almost like that was there was Bisping <laughs> post getting murdered by Henderson, yeah, and I feel as I if, have to be a completely different person. Yeah, he almost had to rebrand himself. <laughs> it's a psychological thing. But um, he didn't want Dan Henderson to have like flashbacks. He's like, oh, yeah, I just do this. <laughs> Beat him the exact same way. And it was funny because people were because uh, Bisbing stepped up and is now going to fight in the because uh, speaking yeah, of Anderson Silver right around pissed hot for some more stuff. I'm sure he's going to tell oh, us it was, no. you know, creatine or something. Yeah. But uh, 
he pissed hot for a steroid or a substance of some sort that he ought not to be taking. And then uh, Bisbing stepped in short notice to fight Gastelum, who is still... I like how they're making Gastelum just the legend killer. <laughs> and there's all these guys who are real close to retirement who used to be studs. Gastelum yeah. is just... You get to have one last beating at the yeah. hands of Kelvin. This is, and then we ship you off to Bellator after this. Before you go to the Greylands, <laughs> take one last beating from this guy who's smaller than you, yet he's still going to beat the hell out of you in some weird way. And it was just sad, like Bisping being like, "Yeah, turn around on three three weeks' notice." You know, like I'm, I'm still, I still got. I'm like, I love you, Mike, but I think this is. Maybe not the best idea. For you know, me. people were saying, though, that his last fight would be against Yoel Romero. And what an awful idea that would Oh, be. God. Yeah. Michael! I owe you, Michael! Yeah. Watch Yoel Romero literally just, like, no bite out. He just bites out his trachea. No forget <laughs> Jesus! That's one of... That might be my all-time favorite MMA, like, thing. Yeah, that Yoel Romero was trying to tell people in his very broken Cuban English accent to not forget Jesus. Yeah, but he came out <laughs> instead with "No forgay Jesus," <laughs> and then people were like so up in arms about it that yeah. he actually had to for, like provide some sort of statement. Yeah, in response, like, "No, I am not saying number one that." Jesus is gay, and if he is, I do not support him. <laughs> or that Jesus himself is not for the gays. Neither yeah. of those things are yeah. what I was trying to say. <laughs> Jesus is for all people. <laughs> it's the broken English of Yoel Romero. That's, that, that could be a segment in itself. <laughs> interviews with Yoel Romero. I, I just Yoel love Romero that. trying to place an order at Taco Bell. And I just love that I he like that haunts Bisbing's dreams. Like they were at, uh, he had that whole thing like, Michael, I love you, Michael. And, he was like, <laughs> and then he had uh, Rogan actually does that. It's a fucking great Yoel Romero impression. But um, how terrifying would it be to have a human being like Yoel Romero like stalking you? Well, no, it, in that <laughs> like uh, going U all Cape Fear trying to come for you in that UFC embedded show that they do on YouTube leading up to big pay per views, they uh, they were having more. Jorge Masvidal was like picking fights with Bisbing all week long, which yeah. is weird because why? You know the different weight classes, but anyways, um, it was funny because they were showing Masvidal and he's like, "I may not be able to fight you, but I brought someone who will." And then they like pointed the slowly careened the camera over to the corner of the room and in a recliner. Who else? But Yol Romero's like Michael. <laughs> I'll find you, Michael. That's beautiful. That's and that kind of comes back to something we were talking about earlier. Is you kind of there's a fine line in fighting of being that guy who will just fight anyone at any time and being smart enough to pick your fights. Yeah, it's it, it's a tough decision, and it's one that you have to, as a fighter, I would imagine. Obviously, I've never done it, but yeah, um, I feel as if it's more of the long view as opposed yeah. to the short term. Because you know, I'm sure there's a lot of fighters who have been offered a particular fight, and they know. Perfect example here is uh, Yair Rodriguez was this rising stud in the 145, the uh, the featherweight division. Yeah. And he had all of Mexico behind him. He was the first big 
potential superstar in MMA from Mexico. And you know how Mexicans yeah. are about their, oh, their yeah. fighting. I mean, Look at Kane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Look how I mean, Kane took off. I, the... Well, and even just in the world of boxing, I mean, look at they always have their guy, whether it's Eric Morales or De La Hoya, Canelo. Yeah. Like, there's, I mean, for Christ's sake, there's Mexican style hand wraps. Yeah. Or I guess they love their would be Thai style. But um, yeah, Mexicans love their fights. And here's this Yair Rodriguez guy who is Mexican, um, and he fights very superstar esque. He was all. He was a traditional martial arts background, so he did all yeah. sorts of crazy flying kicks and, you know, Superman punches and acrobatic shit. And he was, a, you know, rising star. And all of a sudden, they offer him this Frankie Edgar fight. Yeah, Uh-oh. and I'm sure anyone in his camp would have agreed that yeah, it's probably not the best time to fight Frankie Edgar. Yeah, probably beat a few more tomato cans or gatekeepers before taking yeah. this fight. You know, probably a bigger payday. How do you yeah, say no? It looks good. So, you know, looks it's delicious. being able to be disciplined as a probably, you know, a lot of this would be coming from their manager, but the fight of themselves yeah. saying, hey, I'm going to say no to this right now because when I fight Frankie Edgar, I want to beat him. Yeah. And this is just not the right time. And I'm not maximizing my chances of doing just that. Yeah. But I imagine that's a lot easier said than done because yeah. if I were a UFC fighter trying to make, you know, my objective was to pay my bills via fighting and you offered me a guy who's a notable star and significantly more of a star than anyone else I've had the opportunity to fight, then yeah. that's, you know, how do you not look at that situation and just think that, holy shit, this is my break? Yeah. So it's tough. And it's a, and it's a fine line because I feel like when you, some guys probably get to that UFC level. And you real, I'm sure it doesn't take super long to realize like, I'm good, but I don't know if I'm that good. Yeah. But I know I can like now that I have this spot, I can keep this spot. I can keep my name in this league. And I feel like that's kind of what happens to a lot of guys. Like what we were saying about Kevin Gastelum, about him being kind of the executioner. He is he going to be champ anytime soon? It's questionable. How old is he at this point? Kelvin is young. I think he's only 27. That sounds right. He's not 30 yet. I don't believe he's 30 yet. He could be that guy, but do you think he's going to be that guy? He's one of those fighters that suffers from Johnny Hendricks syndrome. Yeah. Where he doesn't have the discipline to be at the weight class that he ought to actually be in. Yes. That's tough. Yeah. He's one of those guys that if there was like a 180 division... He would, he would be the champ. Yeah. yeah. Or like a 175, but those extra five pounds, man, yeah. just they, they defeat him. Yeah. He can't do it. He yeah. also has a weird build. Like he kind of has that Johnny Hendricks build where it just seems like you can't see them in any other shape but having a gut. Like yeah. He almost has like a biologically a necessary gut. Yeah. It's, it's the fuel pack. <laughs> you got to have that. Everybody needs a little fuel. What's wrong with the fuel pack, Corey? Hey, as a as a proud <laughs> owner of a fresh new fuel pack, yeah, uh, nothing is the answer, exactly. or everything is what I would tell you in a private moment. Everything yeah. is wrong with the fuel pack. But anyways, um, yeah, Bisping was always an odd champ to kind of put a bow on that. But my big takeaway as someone who's interested not just in the outcomes of fights, but the actual construction of these fighters, my takeaway was the value of coaching. Yeah. 
And if you look at GSP and what he was able to do coming off of that layoff, in his corner, Freddie Roach as a boxing coach, John Donaher as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach and grappling coach, Firas Zahabi as his head coach, Phil Nurse as his Muay Thai coach. If I ask you to name a coach from each of those disciplines, you wouldn't be able to name one or two other people before naming these people. Yeah. He literally has surrounded himself with the best in the world, and that's why he's able to do what he's doing. I mean, Brendan Schaub told stories of him. He would go visit Freddie Roach for a couple of weeks just to work on his jab. Yeah. He's a guy... I think George St. Pierre, we don't get this sense from him because he's not as very skilled with communication, but I think his approach to fighting is almost like Robin Blackian. Yeah. Like, no, he under he's looking at the science of it yes. on every level. And the art of it too. Yeah. And the, the, the to, philosophy of it. Yeah. No, George St. Pierre in terms of like a who rep who best represents all of the qualities of mixed martial arts, there is no one better. And even fighting itself right this idea of like almost like samurai culture yeah there is no greater potential samurai than george st pierre i mean even yeah. the stuff that he uh was saying in the embedded um shows leading up he was kind of like you could tell he was just disgusted with the way bisping was trying to sell the fight yeah. like he was showing up drunk to the th- <laughs> meanwhile and he GSP was literally like, all dressed up in his suit and like he's not even humoring him no and <laughs> Even on one part, he's just like, I don't know why Michael needs to curse. It's just there are children listening. What are they going to think if they yeah. see their hero? They curse. It's just, I just, yeah. I wish there could not be the, the profanity. Yes. Which like, is a perfect way to set him up against Conor McGregor yeah. in the year of the super fight. Because you, know, you have the mouthpiece of the old guard, you know, compose yourself and present yourself with a little class and professionalism versus I'm a professional and I'm going to do this however the fuck I want. That fight is the biggest potential fight probably in MMA history. There is no other fight between two people unless somehow you can convince Connor to go on steroids and fight Brock Lesnar. (laughs) I, you know what? I think just John, give him like a Bane style tube in his neck I to think, just inject him with steroids throughout the fight. I think John Jones versus Brock would have sold a shitload. That would have been fantastic. That would have been. But thanks, John. But um, yeah, in my opinion, if I were Connor's manager, the perfect chronology. So the word on Connor is that he's not long for the fight game. Yeah. Because, and this will parlay into his recent scuffle. Uh, in Bellator, ironically enough. But, um, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, Connor has stated that he's been very affected. He knew that guy who was beaten to death in the octagon yeah. in Ireland. And there's always been mumblings that, you know, his camp always says that his mantra was get in, get rich, get out. Yeah. So he's Which made no an awesome mantra. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I look at that. the way he's behaved. You know, I mean, look, the Mayweather fight is literally proof that that's probably yeah. the truth. But he's a performance artist. Considering that that is his artist. stated goal, right? Yeah. The only two fights in the chronology of these two fights, and this is the only way it makes sense, in my opinion, would be GSP, Nate, done. Right? Yeah. 
What's wrong with that? Yeah. That's the perfect sequence for him to exit the sport. There's nobody he he could fight at this point where it's going to make that much money and where he's, his star power is going to maintain itself. Yeah, and belts mean nothing to him. Yeah. Why do you give a shit about fighting Tony Ferguson to defend your belt? Yeah. Who cares? You have the money belt. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> I know that that was an he's actual belt the, that they made for the yeah. Mayweather fight, but if the money belt exists, guess what? You have it. Yeah. In the in terms of the UFC, you have the money in the bank briefcase. Yes. That you're just carting around at any moment. You can just cash it in and fight. If he wanted to fight <laughs> Brock Lesnar, if he really just came out and said that's what he wanted to do, somehow it would happen. Yeah. <laughs> it would be insane and it would be horrific to watch. And it would happen at WrestleMania. <laughs> Call up Vince. He he's the only guy who could make that fight a reality. <laughs> but um yeah, you know, I think that you set up that George fight, George v. Connor. Yeah. And the number one thing that makes me think that that's the perfect fight next is because you know he wants that Diaz fight. They literally have to have it, right? Yes. They, There's they, no way you don't split. you end that on uh, one and one. And there are those who think that he even, that second fight should have been, it was a draw. It was or, a fucking draw. Or there are those that think he straight up lost the fight. Yeah. So... You have to make that fight, you'd think, and I think that obviously the payday would be, you know, a, a, one of the better ones he could have. And yeah. I don't think Nate's gonna, although that parlays into another of my talking points here. But the number one thing that appeals to me, the hypothetical McGregor management team, yeah. is if he loses to George, the Nate fight is still there; it yeah. remains unaffected. Or if it is affected by a potential loss to George, not by much. Yeah. Because you could just, you know... He was fighting a guy who's two weight classes above him now. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about uh, him fighting Nate is that everyone has said that if they were to fight for a third time, that it would happen at 155. Yeah. So, you know, you could even make the argument that could repackage the fight to make it attractive for more sales yeah. once again is that well connor just wasn't the best version of himself at 170 but yeah. now he's back down to 155 and he's yeah. still technically the champion he yeah. never lost the belt he had yeah. to vacate it so although you now can, you're you hearing can rumblings, make that you i mean can definitely make that i in i don't know i just i this whole tony ferguson thing i know that he did the thing on instagram where he called out ferguson but i don't get it I don't get it. I think Ferguson is an awful matchup. I don't think it's going to sell nearly yeah. as many pay-per-views as the two fights that I've mentioned. But and I do think that if he were to lose that fight to Tony, yeah, those other the name fight is there regardless. But I think that the GSP fight loses its luster. Yeah, if he were to lose to Tony Ferguson, yes, it absolutely does. And I feel like by calling out Ferguson, that's how he he it it's it he's playing the long game. He yeah. has to show that he's still interested in defending that belt if he wants to be able to do it against Nate. <laughs> he has to show that he's still interested in maintaining that championship status. It makes me wonder if the person who's actually holding up the formation of that fight is George. Because I don't think George really cares about money that much. I yeah. mean, he does, but... And I know he, you know, the mumblings have been the the shobs of the world the mma journalists of the world have said that george's camp wants to fight woodley next 
then Connor, and then they're done. Yeah. Like that's George's remaining career. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that I think if I think they're both mistaken not to fight each other next because yeah. when is George's stardom going to be higher than it is right now? Yes. Not after he loses to Woodley. <laughs> no, and I think that that Woodley fight, it frankly is an awful matchup for him. People yeah. don't understand. Although It's Woodley, a great matchup for Woodley though. It's Woodley, people don't understand this, but Woodley is actually I think older than George. What? Yeah. Woodley is not a young guy. He's at least 35 years old. Woodley is like 32. No. no. I swear to God. I'm going to look this up because I don't check. believe you there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the confusing thing is I, it, it's to be the matchmaker in the UFC is a, a difficult ask yeah. nowadays because... You uh, have to appease the guys who you know are going to fight for you and forever. You have cowboys. to appease the guys who are yeah. You have to appease the cowboys who will fight anybody. You have to give them fights to keep them on retainer for when these big boom and bust stars come and go. Because that's really the risk you take when you give someone star power because of their ability to present themselves. You don't know if that next fight is going to be a complete bust. And then you just poured all this money into somebody who made you look stupid. Well, the word on the street is that the next fight to be made in the welterweight division for the belt is going to be Woodley versus Nate Diaz. Ooh, fun, fun, fun. It's fun, but it's, again, it, it fucks up the chronology that I've laid out. And I think that this chronology is the one that makes the most potential income for the promotion. Which is I I don't understand Woodley versus Nate. The only person who I understand Woodley versus Nate for is Woodley. Okay, Woodley is thirty five. Okay, but GSP is thirty six. Okay, so, so he's not older, but they are close in age. So that's a that's way a, closer a than good, you had thought, right? Yes. No, I definitely thought Tyron Woodley was like around thirty. Yeah, with I mean, with the shape he's in, you can't really. I mean, the guy he's is a born athlete. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a monster. You he trained what, with goddamn C.T. Fletcher. This this is a little bit stack of dimes on that bench, bordering into hot take territory. But Woodley, in part of this, potentially is to gain himself some notoriety and to get his name out there. But he has claimed that a lot of the coverage of his career has hints of racism in it because yeah. the way, first of all, the way he looks. People have often assumed that he's this mega explosive athlete, which he is. Yeah, but, but he's they, smart. Yeah, <laughs> he's that, a much smarter athlete than a lot of guys in that shape. The number one adjective you would use to describe Tyron Woodley as a fighter would be yeah. intelligent or strategic. Yes. Those are the two things that he does the best. Yeah. But no one ever talks about that. And it could be hints of racism, but it's certainly the way he looks, undoubtedly. Yeah. And you got to give the guy credit. He's one of the smartest fighters yeah. in history. I but mean, look he, at what he's and I think where why the GSP fight comes into that play, strategy play there. for strategy. Exactly. And I think George St. Pierre was held up on a much higher pedestal, even though a lot of his fights devolved into lay and pray versus Woodley who you don't see there's some lay and pray but he's a lot more kind of fight from the outside kind of guy it seems like uh, it depends seemed, on who he's fighting like the Wonder Boy fight definitely had that quality yeah what he did to Wonder Boy looks more and more impressive with everyone else who Wonder Boy fights yeah because he completely frankly annihilates everybody that he fights yeah whose names aren't Tyron Woodley yeah so it looks really impressive and honestly you know 
clearly the last one because he won. But yeah. both of those fights, I was kind of of the opinion that Tyron beat him. I yeah. mean, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. a, a, they wanted. They expected more from Tyron. And I think that's where the racism angle comes in is because like he won that first fight. <laughs> but yeah. they did, he didn't win it the way that they wanted him to. So they had to do it again. Tyron Woodley's job is to defeat Stephen Thompson in an MMA fight by whatever means possible. Yeah. And he ran the numbers, so yeah. to speak, and figured out this is my best chance of doing just that. Yes. So that's what he did. You cannot fault him for that, except if your name is Dana White. Exactly. Whose job is to sell as many pay-per-views as possible. Yeah. So it's a tricky mixture yeah. of incentives there. But I think uh, I, th- I think you're definitely right in that the while the Tyron Woodley fight isn't good for GSP, it's fantastic for Woodley. Yeah. And I think that's why we need to kind of stat. It's, the best move is for Connor to fight GSP. Then for GSP to fight Woodley and Connor to fight Nate. That's the way this progression should go. But whether or not we get that, whether or not everything falls into place for that, I is like where that. It gets tricky. I like that chronology even better than the one I've laid out because it is congruent with it. And the only kind of flaw in my system was that Woodley kind of got left out of the dance. Yeah. But in your example, he does not, which exactly. I like that quite a lot. And it's but. Unfortunately, I guess, it seems as if the fights we're going to get are Connor v. Tony, Woodley v. Nate, and GSP. Well, actually, I'm talking myself out of this now because if they make Nate versus Woodley, yeah. doesn't that mean GSP is left without a dance partner? Mm, it Interesting. does. Unless we just... And that's where that... To hit, fight anybody anytime mentality comes in. Who's willing to if bear Woodley, down and fight two people like that? If Woodley fighting Nate means that we also get Connor v GSP, yeah, sign me the fuck up. Yeah, I'm that's a, oh, I like that timeline. Ooh. Set that fight Whoa. up. I don't think I. We really need to find a way for. I think Connor needs to kind of evade Tony for as long as he can to really like keep that star power active. But how long can he do it Decide. before it turns on him? Going know, back to this idea of, you know, the year of the super fights, we're kind of getting that, right? Like Nate versus Woodley can be yeah. considered a super fight because it doesn't oh, yeah. make a ton of sense, but yeah. they're just two big names. Uh, Mighty Mouse versus Dillashaw. Yes, we didn't really touch on that one. That's a super fight. Undoubtedly, I mean, champ versus champ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyborg versus Holly Holm. Is coming up. Ooh, that's fun. That's a fucking fight. That's fun. That might be my favorite uh, women's MMA fight of all time. Yeah. When is that? I believe 219, which is the... uh, That's supposedly the card where Connor was supposed to fight Tony. Yes. But he was, quote unquote, air quotes here, removed from the card because (laughs) of his antics at the... Bellator fights, and yeah. to that I say, bullshit. Yeah, Conor McGregor can do whatever the fuck he wants, especially after doing something like that, which even brought him more notoriety. Yeah, the, under no circumstances is Conor McGregor proposing a fight to to to, uh, to Dana White, and Dana White is saying no. There is zero yeah. percent chance of that ever happening. Once but again. Dana needs to like he needs to have that thumb on him. 
he needs to like he he's really because he knows what happens if he takes it off if he gives if he gives Connor everything Connor wants. Connor, it like going to boxing. Connor is going to yeah. uh, Well, (laughs) let's be careful. Oh my God, is that the detonator? Yes. Okay. There's five seconds. It's all well. It's been good knowing you, folks. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, you know, I guess that's the good news here is that there are a lot of interesting fights coming up on the horizon that do not include Connor. So if we do get one, it's almost just icing on the cake but yeah. not for a moment do i believe that they suspended him for this incident at bellator conor mcgregor does not yeah. get suspended from anything because the ufc's primary objective of being in existence existence i didn't say that word well yeah is making as much money off of you of mma fights as they possibly can yeah and no one affords them that opportunity like conor mcgregor yeah so he Except is not getting for suspended. george st pierre you know what, though? Even the pay-per-view buys. I mean, I do think that GSP right now, if you think about who fought for the UFC in 2017, Connor did not fight no. in 2017. He did Mayweather. He fought. He did fight. He did not fight for the UFC. So the only two pay-per-view draws of the entire year were Jones v. Cormier, which <laughs> they don't get to ride any momentum from that at all because yeah. Jones is now <laughs> gonzo, and GSP versus Bisping. Those yeah. are the only two... GSP once, John Jones once. That is yeah. all they got this year. And they were lucky. It's Well, with GSP, they were lucky. Although, you know, I will say on a side note with uh, John Jones, I think GSP did prove that there is still hope for John Jones down the line. Uh, but we know what John Jones likes to do with people's hopes yeah, for his career. I don't think you can compare George St. Pierre's discipline to John Jones's discipline. I put John Jones will train. John fighting really? is John Jones life. I don't know, man. He didn't even the word on the street is he didn't even train for the Gustafson fight. He still won. <laughs> but I don't know, man. There I mean he's certainly the greatest of all time, you know, ex no I don't know. I th- you know my I think view John, on steroids. George, so. John Jones is just a weird, genetically born to fight human. Yeah, I've, like if the aliens land and tell us to send out our champion, we're sending out John Jones. Yeah, or uh, Francis Ngannou. Do you know what he looks like? No. Go home and do yourself a favor. And do, he act if the predator became a human. Oh my god! That's I what Francis Ngannou looks like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Uh, well, actually, you know what? I was thinking. I just read an article that Chael, of all people, said that Mayweather McGregor two is happening. No, there's no reason for that to happen. Yeah, I. I don't. Wa- I'm not watching it. I'm not. You didn't following. watch the first one, or did you? I did watch the first one. Okay. I did watch the first one. We talked about that. Yeah. Well, um, my aforementioned point of you being great yeah. at watching. No, I get what you're implying there, Corey. <laughs> I don't miss every big fight. I just miss most of them. Jeez. A uh, wild change of topics here, but I have next on my list of talking points that, as a podcast that also touches upon the world of comedy. Yes. It would be difficult not to mention the fall from grace of one of the most prominent stand-ups in my, well, I was going to say our pal Louie, but yeah, I, I don't know. know. I'm not associating myself that closely there. Here's the thing, man. I I think that I'm still allowed to say that he was an amazing comedian. Yes. 
Well, uh, he he was a talented performer. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't you can't dirt this bag, does not erase dirt what baggery. He, yeah, you know, notwithstanding. Yeah, um, that's that's absolutely true. Uh, it's and, and it's I mean, but it, the same thing stands for guys like Cosby. Same thing stands for Michael Jackson in music. These were yeah. all talented people at the art form they chose to pursue. Their character outside of that is what's being called into question. And, uh, well, even more so than question, we already know, is uh, not the greatest in terms of conducting yourself. I think, you know, I don't really have any super poignant thoughts about the whole. I think that overall this era that we're within of all of these powerful men being exposed to use extremely moralistic, moralistically questionable methods towards women who are surrounding them is going to be a positive thing yeah. both now and hopefully in retrospect too. Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if this lessens the overall amount of this sort of behavior going on, then I'm all for it. Keep the names coming out. Yes. I just hope no, that every bring that, you know, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. Yes. Yeah, I'm there's, absolutely there's, all for that. I feel like there was a lot, you know what the weirdest part of this whole thing is? I think if anything, you know, this is where I would like to focus our specific discussion of this topic is that what, why is this story different than it was a year ago? Because this stuff was out there. Yes. You told me about this a year and a half ago. Yeah. No, it's been known for, well, the thing was, I think the, really we saw the climate change. You know, it was once Harvey Weinstein was like the 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 first man behind the curtain, yeah. so to speak. He so was the one who too. really took that hit. Why him of all people? Like, why was he the domino that had to fall? Because he was like one. He's one of those names who's like you don't. He, he was sort of a secret household name. You didn't know who he was, but you knew who he was. Yeah. You knew, you'd seen his name a million times in all these movies that came out. You heard other actors and actresses talk about him. And he was this kind of guy who you knew, you didn't really know him, but you knew he was a powerful person in Hollywood. And I think it's that combined with Cosby in terms of like this guy who was like the daunt, like Michael Jackson is different because he was he we saw his breakdown unfold in front mm. of us yeah we saw like he after he lit himself on fire just everything started to get weird whereas with bill cosby you had no idea you yeah. had no idea that bill cosby was you knew that he, he as he got older he became kind of a grumpy old man but he was always kind of a goofy grumpy old man um you know weinstein was also a gatekeeper for yes. a medium that sort of defines pop culture. Yes. So I think it's very significant and very telling that he, I mean, he was the gatekeeper for the yeah. most popular form of media. And maybe not anymore, but at least for you know the majority it's of the last big, century. It's a, yeah, it's a big driving force in the ter- in terms of the public uh, perception, perception of, of stardom and all that kind of stuff yeah. and. You know, here he was using these awful methods to, yeah. you know, not even really to help anybody's career, like no, just kind of taking advantage of uh, of a position of power. He was keeping the gate, but you had to do awful and yeah, terrible he, things. He very to get much past was the, the troll under the bridge. Yes, except instead of solving a riddle, you just got to jerk him off. Yeah, <laughs> but yet 
I don't know what is different. The question remains. I know you said the environment changed, but is that is there some momentum to that within specifically the media? It became because there were all these. There was only really one or two Louis stories that were known. Yeah, a year or two ago. So the the cohesion of all these stories. Once that once Weinstein fell, and we saw like how widespread that was, and that, and I think it's kind of this wave that's been rising. Over the past, with that, the Cosby stuff, and even like the, the grabbing by the pussy stuff with Trump, even though he still became president. Yeah, that's that's the craziest part of this whole thing. <laughs> well, I kind of want to come back to that later. Um, I think you saw this kind of rising crest, and then when Harvey Weinstein came down, and one of the sto- the specifically the story that broke where he can still be charged for it. Yeah. Where now this is an actual case that can be built as opposed to like this. Like Cosby is has built himself up. He's going to live the rest of his life, probably not spend a day in jail. Yeah. He's going to insulate himself and hung juries, everything. Weinstein, there's a good chance, like if this really does all go to court, he might do some time. Yeah. He's not he's old but he's not Cosby old where yeah. you could just go at any day. So I think we saw that there like we could actually see consequences for these actions. Mm. And that's Hopefully. where and also the story the Harvey Weinstein story that broke Ronan Farrow uh son quote unquote of Woody Allen although uh if you know anything about Mia Farrow's previous relationship to uh Frank Sinatra and you look at a picture of Ronan Farrow you wonder if Woody Allen's really the dad there. <laughs> But Woody Allen himself also has this kind of seedy backstory to him. Oh yeah, Ronan Farrell was the one one of the ones who reported on Harvey Weinstein. He's also the one who broke the Louis story. Hmm. So he's kind of the, sort of behind the scene now. Perhaps he's seen some things in his own yes. personal life. You have to wonder if he's like I'm not like I'm in a position. He's an investigative journalist now. He's in the position where he can, and he was the one to actually get everybody's stories together. And published them in the New York Times, which it's very different when you're going to like Gawker or you're going to one of these websites to Mm -hmm. publish a story and say, hey, this guy did what's the verification process? If it's in the New York Times, there's been some vetting done. Does Roman Farrow work for the New York Times? Uh, Or is he an independent? He's he's a journalist, so I don't know. A lot of those Every, investigative guys are kind of freelancers. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd imagine like just with his family. He probably is able. He doesn't need to be on payroll at a, at yeah, a newspaper. He's got a he's got a trust fund. Yeah, he's all right. A trust fund earned with blood money, but a trust fund. Nonetheless. Uh, I mean, not well. <laughs> any yeah. like child support payments from Frank Sinatra, probably yeah, some blood money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's just. I guess there is a momentum to media coverage, and they just it, you know saw the particular timing was yeah you know, such that a lot of these stories were coming to light. And, and they, it was especially like with the Louis had a movie coming out. Yeah. Which Louis is, if you've ever noticed, Louis is a very big Woody Allen fan. Yeah. Which hmm. already is kind of hmm. suspect. <laughs> and uh, so this movie was about an older man dating a younger woman. It also involved a lot of like weird kind of secret, but not so secret guy jerking off in front of people jokes. To the point where it seemed like, hey, don't you think this is kind of sounds like those rumors about you? He's like, hey, you know, I never noticed because Louis was confronted about this a couple of times and he denied it. 
Mm. He made it seem like secret. And he started doing like secret shows at comedy clubs, like not announcing when he was coming through. It's this really weird story that started to take place where you're like, you know, he's scared. Like, you know, he doesn't want to be in the public eye as much because, and I think somewhere along the line, Louis, his his conscience caught up with him. I don't know what it was, but there was this kind of like weird trying to make right, but not really because you're still not a great person thing that was going on. Well, it's an interesting discussion on the macro level too, because unfortunately history has proven that this is the sort of behavior that we can expect from the artistically gifted. Yeah. Because there's that weird interplay between artistic genius and madness. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of mental anguish that must, that one must go through in order to create these great forms of expression. Yeah. It just has revealed itself time and time and time again. Yeah. So, you know, it makes you wonder if, if society were given the chance, right, to be exposed to all of these great displays of artistry. But you had to have those displaying said artwork, you know, doing really nefarious things behind the curtain. You know, what would society's decision be? Would they go ahead and want to see these great forms of artwork and expression? Yeah. You know, because... I think it's, you know, we're kind of, and again, it's the whole separating the art from the artist concept, what we talked about where... And this doesn't apply to Harvey, by the way. That guy didn't create yeah. shit. <laughs> this is exclusively But a in Louis. terms of what, like, not even, because it does expand beyond art. You know, the mm-hmm. it, powerful people in a lot of different positions, and they still... Uh, Dave Chappelle has a great joke about this in one of his new Netflix specials. Which I think is, uh, you know, because I think he saw the wave coming. I think he mm. kind of knew what was about to happen. Um, about how, uh, you know, this movie idea being pitched to Hollywood producers about a guy who, a superhero who only has superpowers if he rapes a woman. <laughs> like he has to have sex with a woman in order to be able to do this amazing. He rapes, but he saves. And it's kind of this compromise where, like, the Hollywood producers, like, we'll, we'll buy that right up. It's fantastic. But is it? Is it really worth yeah. it? Like, is it? Re- and it becomes, I, I kind of talked myself off track there, <laughs> thinking about the Dave Chappelle bit. Um, no, but it, you're revealing the same, like, you know, sometimes greatness comes with a cost of madness. Yeah. And it could yeah. not, you know, look at Michael Jackson. You yeah. mentioned it before, I mean. And I've been molested and I will still dance around to a Michael Jackson song. Yeah, if you think it. about the joy that Michael Jackson, you know, cr- gave to a lot of people. I, I could have ended that poorly there. You could have. But uh, if you think poorly. about like all that, the effect he's had on millions of people as literally yeah. probably the most famous cultural icon pop star yeah. ever you don't get that probably without what yeah. he had to endure in his life and that mental state yeah. of unhealth you but know I, you, you don't get that expression without the pain and the pain yeah. brings along with it these awful deeds i think in a way that's a little short short-sighted at the same time because we're looking at past examples yeah you know we're looking at yeah, everything they accomplished given the leash that they had been given. It's not necessary versus, to be a dirtbag. Yes, there's a ch- it's not a, as if these people never had a choice. 
It's not, you know, like I've had horrible things happen to me and I have some horrible thoughts. I'm not saying that I think awful shit on their level, but I'm saying, I, you know, I want to break out into random fits of violence for no reason at times. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a thing, but I don't do that because I, it, you can't do those things. You can't, yeah. it's not all about you and what you feel like doing. And I think it, what it really comes down to is what do we we really have to look to the future in terms of what are we going to permit going forward? Yeah, I think now we're in an era where we can have this transparency within you know media and within other facets of society of what we're, what powerful people are allowed to do, yeah. what the, what they do already, and you know we can we can. There, there's a little bit more power for the underdog in that circumstance that we can expose this evil behavior. And it becomes like, you know, that maybe there's the argument that, well, what if this becomes overused? But I don't think you'll see, I don't think you'll see these kinds of things take off if there's no merit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I think like many things, the true answer here is one that's not super marketable. It's not super coverable by media outlets. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't elicit any sort of passionate response on one side or the other, mm-hmm. which is why it probably will never get solved. But it's literally just as your mother told you, Richard, treat others as you would like to be treated. Yeah. Because you know what? If you do that, it solves what we're highlighting here. It solves that problem of the sexualization and the objectification of women. You know, if you just yeah. view them as a human being and don't immediately analyze them in that circumstance first, all of a sudden these weird, you know, powerful people who are just only focusing on that aspect of their personness, you know, probably decreases significantly. And but yeah. unfortunately, we're all about headlines and clicks and viewership, right? Yeah. So what does get headlines and viewerships and clicks? going in the opposite direction the complete extreme response to this sort of thing yeah so unfortunately that's i mean look at the presidential election we went one direction super forward thinking articulate guy who was a from a minority group of people then we went to the other end of the spectrum because all the media coverage needed to get clicks and viewership so they covered in the kenya thing and this and that and obamacare blah 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 and the entire country was brainwashed to think that we have never made such a mistake as electing this man who seems to be, I mean, I disagreed with a fair amount of his policies, but I don't think he was a complete train wreck at the very least. Certainly didn't fail to the point where electing Trump was a feasible <laughs> solution to anything. Yeah. And yet, to some, it was a great idea. Well, it's it's also funny, too, because in his whole message, right, there is some truth, unfortunately, about the media. He's not correct about why the media is bad. Yeah. But his highlighting of the media's influence on your average American is true. Yeah. He is no greater example of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ironically <laughs> he enough. He absolutely is no greater example of and, the very thing he... But he twists it in a way. He's, he's telling the truth, but not... All of it. The scales are weighted one way, and then we must immediately weigh them on the other side. It's just the way we work as a country. There's no, you know, the only way to prevent this sort of thing from happening is to just view everybody just as a human being, right? Not an attractive woman or an unattractive woman or an attractive man or an unattractive man and this, that, or a black man or a black unattractive man or attractive Asian woman. Yeah. 
just a person. This per this is a person that I am I here in with. this circumstance with, and yes. we need to work together to a certain end. That's really the only analysis or filtration process that works one hundred percent of the time. But again, you know, is that going to happen or be installed in society's psyche anytime soon? Probably, unfortunately, not. We're just going to see. But we're kind. We're you know we're on at the start of that. You know, we're the, still fairly early into that side of things. I'm sure the uber feminists of the world will be given a platform yeah. in the next couple of months, and then that will be the new agenda. And yeah. they'll frankly probably they'll try to do you know years worth of time on the wrong end of the spectrum. They're just going to make our time spent on the wrong other wrong end yeah. of the spectrum, and we just constantly of we dance around the middle. That's our culture. Like, here's the center, and here is all of the stuff that should be happening and the way people should be operating. We're just going to dance around it. <laughs> We're just going to spend 10 years over here, then 10 yeah. years down here, and then it's 10 a, years to the it's left. It's a pendulum, man. Yeah. It's just kind of this back and forth swing that we kind of, we have, you know, we didn't start the fire. <laughs> we kind of have to ride the ride the crest of the wave here. I, honestly, I don't think it's going to be as quick of a transition. Just, like, I don't think... This is the start of the hype. All of this stuff happened, but we still have the pussy grabber chief. You know, <laughs> even talking about this stuff kind of fatigues me. Like, I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts, and they kind of consistently delve into this sort of stuff, and I just don't have the energy for it. Yeah, you know, it's, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's, I'm it's with just, you I don't know, like everything you say can potentially be taken as offense, you know, by someone else, and... You know, there's no mention of anything policy oriented anymore. Yeah. It's all just identity politics and outrage culture and all this yeah. stuff. And it's I human think, evolution. We've, well, we've created an ego based society. Evolution. And I think it's because of this, you know, there's a good and a bad to this inner connectivity that we have now. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, what we've seen in the past few years is just a, a what's, what's the word I'm looking for? A, predominantly negative uh, a preponderance of only that was the word I was looking for a preponderance of the purely negative aspects of this impact on our culture that this interconnectivity has brought forth and I just I don't know it's it's such a toxic environment you know talking about politics was always a joke that you don't want to do it yeah but like never as seriously as it is now (laughs) like you truly do not want to do this sort of stuff. You have to be fucking careful who you talk to and what you talk to them about. Yeah. That's a damn shame. You know, it's, it's this, this competition for viewership and clicks and all this kind of stuff. It's a loss of context as a culture, right? Everyone wants to read a headline, but not the Kevin Spacey thing. You know, there's a lot of, I have not done the sufficient amount of research on this, by the way, which I I don't know. I don't know what a sufficient amount is really. Near do I, (laughs) but I saw something that said that there was a lot of abuse towards him and his brother that was being brought to light. Yeah. um, About their childhoods recently. And, you know, and that comes back to the choice thing though, you know, like I know people who face some horrible abuse. Yeah, and there's just and not going to be don't any turn out nearly that bad. But there's no context to it, right? The the yeah. takeaway is that Kevin Spacey, gay rapist. Yes. That's it. That's what your average person who yeah. has exposure to just the typical media yeah. cycle will 
take away from this, but isn't it an opportunity to learn about the damaging of a human being yeah. in, in their childhood and the effect that can have later on in life? And instead, we can take away from this the value of parenting yeah. and the value of a good nuclear family and the, the, you know, the horrors of child abuse. And the, yeah. it, wouldn't it be better to focus on that stuff and not just Kevin Spacey, gay, rapist, awful yeah. guy? I think well, I think that there's the absolutely true to that, but then I think it on the other end of the spectrum, you know, uh, we can talk about the Kevin Spacey thing all day, but people don't talk as much about the Roy Moore thing, mm. especially in like the media. Like that has kind, of, especially even with Louis C.K., it's kind of become this little bit more brushed to the side thing. And and Roy Moore is somebody who has political power. Yeah. <laughs> Roy Moore is not an he's sort of an actor. You know, he puts on his little cowboy hat to give his speeches. But this guy was molesting little girls. But that is somehow less palate or more palatable because at least it was straight pedophilia. Mm. It's not real. Like, it's really it's hard to apply things like gay or straight in that. So like pedoph- don't fuck any kids regardless of gender identity. You know, don't you think it's also a a time thing, though, too? Like everything nowadays has to be so quick. And I don't have time. I'm doing this. So, you know, yeah. even, you know, I talked about before about like how I used to listen to a lot of long form podcasts, but like Rogan's, for example, is a three, three and a half hour show. Yeah. But now what they do typically is they break down some of the more interesting parts and snippets of the show and make specific standalone YouTube videos about yes. those. And all of a sudden, I find myself listening to those videos, not listening to the actual fucking yeah, podcast. I'm anymore. digesting the little bits of digestible nu- nuggets that I want. Yes, and it's all about how do I get what I need from this as quickly as possible? How do I extract quickly, right? Yeah. And that has really contributed toward this overall loss of context as a culture because we just don't have time for it anymore because this interconnectivity has this all... Co- has us all convinced that we are so busy. We're busy, Rick. You're busy, yeah. right? I'm busy right fucking now. No, you're not. You're not that busy of a guy. I see your life. Guess what? I'm not that busy either. Yeah. We're not as busy. You know who's busy? Ironically, Trump. He's a pretty busy guy. Being the president of the United States, I will give him that. I will give him not many things, but I will give him that he has probably got a pretty filled up Google calendar. Yeah. Now, as to how much energy he devotes to any given task, that's, you know, we don't know that. Well, he doesn't work out because there's only a limited amount of energy, Richard. That's right. I forgot. But I forgot that's a key thing. We, you know, <laughs> the internet has us convinced in this, this exposure to people on Instagram where you see these epic things that they're doing. But by the way, 23 hours of their day is mundane as fuck. But they put up that uh, a quick, uh, what, what's the name for those, uh, uh, boomerang. They put up a quick boomerang of the most epic five minutes of their day. And then you look at them and you get all jealous. You're like, man, why do they have such an awesome life? And I just have this boring ass life. I'm, I got to get busier. I got to do this. I got to do that. So now we have everybody moving at a hundred miles an hour, trying to keep up with this person who they don't even really know what their life looks like in all actuality. And you forget there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of, very boring, monotonous work that goes into everything else you've got to do. If the news was done right, it would be one story. Yeah. Like, here's something that happened that we think is really important. Yeah. We're only going to digest this particular story. Right? 
Yeah. And that's what I guess newspapers used to be. I guess. I mean, more of a. Oh, there's also like three things that happened all over town back in the day. Yeah, because like. Uh, TV the factory ne- caught on fire earlier. <laughs> TV news was the first evolution of this quick idea, right? Yeah. Because they were just like, man, we can cover so much more news and it's more digestible in audio and visual form. So we're going to go 10 stories, but we're just going to do the headlines. Yeah. Hello, it's- folks. Today in Scranton, a house burned down. Let's go to the scene. Go to new, Tom. Hey, Tom. The uh, the fire the house is just about cindering out. Uh, there was a cat that died. Let's talk to somebody on the scene. Yeah, it was a it was a really crazy fire. It was a uh, real high up in the air and it was scary. All right, Tom, that's all from Scranton. Back to you in the studio. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you know that's a poor example because I guess we don't need any more information. Yeah. than that for them. Yeah, but then they the cut story, to but. like interviewing a baker. Yeah, or <laughs> about today these, these really good oatmeal raisin cookies they make in the secret. <laughs> ingredient that gives them that tang or even worse there's a school board meeting today and they voted to cut the teacher pay by 10 percent across the board yeah let's go to you bill hey tom i'm here at the school board and i'm going to interview a member of the staff what do you guys think about the salary cuts we like them all right back to you tom (laughs) in no context no you know no analysis further than that we don't know if the 10 percent cut was a good thing if it was necessary because of the budget or yeah. if it was a bad thing and they're just somebody is pocketing more money than they should and that's why they have to make cuts in the budget in this particular area. We don't know. Yeah. Just the budget is happening, the cutting. There you go. Yeah. So I don't know. See? It even sucked the energy out of this conversation, yeah. Richard. We are not like people with solutions. No. We are but the lowly white belts. I think that <laughs> you know, I think that's the thing with a lot of media though, right? Yeah. Like they have to offer solutions. Yeah, and there, there are no one's going to listen. No easy solutions to. Yeah, no one's going to listen if we don't have the answers, Rick. So we got to tell them what the answer is, and the answer is to buy proof bed bug spray (laughs) in copious amounts. Take up stock in proof bed bug spray organization. I had one uh, last thing, and I it on the notes, and we can end in a more exciting and somewhat comical manner. Okay. Let's get let's get happy again. Did let's you watch or see or take in in any way, shape, or form the Deontay Wilder versus Bermaine Stavern fight? I did not, but I know Deontay Wilder is a one-man wrecking crew. Jesus H. Christ. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Unbelievable. I have never seen a mauling. Like, you know, like those... He kind of did what to Stavern, like... Every five-year-old who, not five, every 10-year-old who says, I'm going to grow up and be a boxer. Yeah. Thinks that they're going to do to somebody when they actually do become a boxer. <laughs> like, he actually did that. Yeah. You know you know the guy on the couch when you're watching fights, like, why the fuck doesn't he just, like, kick the shit out of him? Yeah. And you're just like, no, there's a tech, there's a technique to this. They're better yeah. than you think. Doesn't really he, work. He actually did. He yeah. did that. He literally just listened to the guy on the couch like, oh, what's that? Just beat the ever-living piss out of this guy? Gotcha. Yep. That's what That's he did. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I have to... What, what was the... Who did, who did he murder? Bermain Stiverne, who okay. previously he had gone 12 rounds with. And beat, but he had gone yeah. 12 hard rounds. It's and like, all right, I never want to have to fight you again. Let me embarrass <laughs> you on a national... In, international scale. Oh, uh, it was... 
It was really like even uh, Stavern was like hanging out on the bottom rope and it was God. a really bad position to end up KO'd in. Yeah. Because his head was on the ropes and his knees had buckled underneath him. Ooh. So he was like all, yeah, it was a bad position. That's horrifying. I need to see this. And, um, you know, that kind of sets up the Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder super fight. Oh, boy. Which is probably, I would say, the best heavyweight boxing fight in a decade. I think it's better, actually, than Klitschko versus Joshua. Because I think now, how can Deontay Wilder's stardom ever burn brighter than it is right now? Coming off of that domination and... You know, Joshua still basking in that pose, beating Klitschko turned Joshua into a much bigger star. So yes, now they're, these are when two their guys are at, at their, their prime. Yes, yes, and man, that that is a that's probably the best fight since I don't know Tyson Lewis. Fuck yeah! Right? I mean, what, what other big heavyweight deal is? I mean, like Holyfield was a star, but not. I never remember. I was too young, but I don't think, at least to my knowledge, that Holyfield ever had this like world beater marketing yeah. campaign behind him. Whereas, I mean, Wilder literally it was it was like a it was a WWE squash match. Yeah, that's what it was. Put yeah. into a boxing format, yeah. but we'll see, man. Wilder is one of those guys who he could have taken up any sport, and he. Just happened to be boxing. Yeah, he could throw on a set of shoulder pads and hop in there for the Ravens tonight. <laughs> he's he's that guy. Yeah. He um he's a genetic freak and he's a really marketable guy too. Like he seems to have he's got a really big social media presence. He um is actually on a lot of different podcasts I've been listening to recently. He's been making the rounds of those. So yeah, I think uh you know the writing is on the wall for making that fight and hopefully if they make that fight in conjunction with the. Uh, fights we had alluded to on the MMA side of things. We'll have a very we'll have a lot of topics to cover. Yeah. Here on definitely. the White Belts and Life podcast in the year twenty eighteen, Richard. Well Big with that yawn. I didn't you didn't hear that. I'm not tired. You're Up tired. Until three AM fucking yelling at college kids. Hey man, somebody's gotta do it. Somebody does. And it was me. All right, Richard, any any parting thoughts? Any parting thoughts? Um yeah, uh, you know, uh, don't fuck kids. Okay. Don't do that. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be a fighter, don't fight everybody all the time. You know what? That's actually too very... <laughs> you just... You know what? I shouldn't have even asked you about final thoughts because didn't I just fall into the headline synap- synopsis <laughs> culture that I just claim to be a problem? <laughs> Shit. Well, anyways, I'm not going to offer any closing thoughts because now I realized it played into what I claim to be a negative thing. So. Okay. I guess my closing thoughts are tune in next week for the White Belts in Life podcast. And with that, Godspeed.